Well, I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we turn our hearts to God's word this morning. We're going to be picking up where Pastor Rick left off last week in John chapter 6. And by the way, wasn't it great to have Pastor Rick with us last week? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, what a, what a great man of God he is, and we're so thankful for his legacy here at our church and thankful that he's still able to come and share the word with us occasionally. But uh, we're picking up today uh, looking at Jesus, the bread of life, John chapter 6, 22 through 71. So a big chapter, big section, but uh, man, it's good stuff. So let's have a word of prayer and just ask the Lord to open our eyes to the power of the word this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for the joy of being here together to worship you. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to come into your presence. And uh, especially this Christmas season, as we think of uh, the hope that is ours because of you. Lord, I I just pray that that hope once again renews us today and encourages us and uh, inspires us with a a greater love, a a bigger vision of who you are, a greater depth of of, uh, joy in you. And we're just so thankful, God, for you and your amazing grace. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would open our eyes to the power of your word this morning. Illuminate these truths for us as we look at this powerful teaching by our Lord Jesus on the reality of him being the bread of life and all that that means for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly and faithfully. And again, Lord, open all of our eyes to your truth this morning so that we might fall more in love with you and honor you more faithfully, live for you uh, more diligently. And uh, we just commit all of this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I know we have a bunch of parents here this morning. I can see uh, parents and young kids and, and uh, some of you grandparents can relate to this as well, I'm sure. But, but are you familiar, parents, are you familiar with the two most commonly heard words by all parents? The two most commonly heard words by all parents. You know what they are? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Am I right? <laughs> I'm hungry. Man, I don't know about you guys, but uh, if, if, if you have kids at home, uh, I've got two teenagers at home, and those are probably the two most common words we hear. My wife can make like this amazing meal. I mean, just fill us up, overflowing, and we're stuffed, and literally like 10, 15 minutes later, my kids are coming up to the kitchen, Mom, I'm hungry. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just crazy. And if you're, like, if you're like our family, I mean, last week I was looking at our bank account. I'm looking at our check account. And I said to my wife, I'm like, where'd all the money go? And she's like, the kids ate it. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like we're buying groceries all the time. It's crazy. Well, I, I got to hand it to my wife. She's like the Batman of snacks. You know, Batman has his utility belt. I mean, my wife, I don't know where she gets it, but she pulls out snacks from all over the place. I mean, she's got snacks in her purse. I'm in our car, and there's snacks coming out all over the place in our minivan. And it's like she's ready at all times for a snack because the kids are inevitably going to say, I'm hungry. And, uh, you know, friends, we can all relate to the reality of hunger, though. Hunger is a natural part of our our human lives. Uh, and, And hunger really is a good thing. If you think about it, hunger is a really good thing. God made us to get hungry. And why? It's because our bodies need nourishment, right? We, we need sustenance. We need nutrition to fuel us and keep us going. And so God made us to get hungry, to drive us to something that will fulfill and satisfy that hunger within us. And it's not just physical hunger that drives us. But as human beings, we all possess a spiritual hunger. 
We, we have an innate spiritual hunger within each of us that, that, that we long to satisfy. And just like physical hunger points us to some greater need, our, our spiritual hunger also points us to a greater need, a, a longing that, that only God can fulfill for us. And this is what our passage this morning is all about. In John chapter 6, 22 through 71, Jesus is going to declare himself to be the bread of life. The bread of life, the one who can fulfill that deep spiritual longing that is present in every one of us here this morning. I'm going to read for us our passage together, John 6, 22 through 71. It's a bit longer, but we're going to treat this all in one section because this is a running monologue or teaching by Jesus. And so we want to make sure we, we have the whole context here. And then I want to come back and highlight for us three offers that we see in our passage. Three offers that Jesus makes to each one of us here this morning. So let's read this together. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Remember, the day before, Jesus has just miraculously fed 5,000 people. Okay, And so these people are now again looking for Jesus. He had just performed this great miracle. Well, in verse 24, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because of the signs you saw, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. It's a powerful passage. It's an incredible truth for us to consider this morning. As I mentioned a minute ago, there are three offers here in our passage that I'd like to highlight today. Jesus offers us three things here in this powerful teaching. The first thing that Jesus offers us here in our passage is bread for the hungry. Jesus offers bread for the hungry. Our, our passage opens up this morning with the, with the people of Galilee seeking Jesus. They're, they're, they're crossing the lake in boats looking for Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus tells us here in verse 26. He says to the people, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
The day before, Jesus had just miraculously provided this incredible feast, an abundance of fish and loaves, so much that there were 12 basketfuls left over. These people had eaten their fill at the hands of Jesus, and now they've sought him out looking for more, looking for Jesus to satisfy their hunger. But instead of providing another miraculous feast, Jesus quickly turns their attention from their stomachs to their souls. See, there was something more significant that Jesus wanted to reveal. We see in verse 27, Jesus goes on, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. See, friends, at the heart of our passage this morning is a fundamental truth that Jesus came to reveal, a fundamental truth that all of us must must understand And that truth is simply this. While our physical needs and desires are not unimportant, they are not most important. And friends, if you fail to understand that truth, you're going to go through life never satisfied, always hungry, always looking for something more to fill you. I'll tell you, there are a few more important truths for us to grasp this morning than this. Our physical needs are not unimportant, but they are not most important. Sadly, many people spend their whole lives, their whole lives looking and searching for the things of this world, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find fulfillment, trying to satiate that that longing that all of us have in our hearts. But the problem is, friends, we weren't ultimately made for this world. We weren't ultimately made for this world. And so the stuff of this world can never truly satisfy the the deepest longings that all of us have within us. A a great example of this is is King Solomon. Many of you might remember a a year or two ago, we we taught through the book of Ecclesiastes. And and we saw the journey of King Solomon who, who had started his life. He had turned away from God and he went in pursuit of all of the things of this world, looking for joy, looking for fulfillment, looking for satisfaction. And remember at the outset of Ecclesiastes, what does King Solomon tell us? Take a look at Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 14. King Solomon opens his message in Ecclesiastes. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon had it all. He had money, he had pleasure, he had power, he had territory. I mean, he had it all. And he pursued everything this world had to offer, looking for satisfaction, looking to be filled and and full and satisfied. And yet, he says at the end of the day, it's all striving after the wind. It's all vanity, A, a mist, a vapor, here one moment, gone the next, satisfied for a moment, unsatisfied over and over again. Solomon goes on to reveal the reason for this never-ending search for meaning and longing in this world. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. 
God has put eternity in our hearts. And, and what he means by that is that God has made each of us with an innate longing to know him and to have a relationship with him and to be filled and satisfied by him. And if we're not, that longing, we're going to look for other things to fill it, but, but nothing else can satisfy because it was meant to be filled by God alone. God has put eternity in our hearts. I'm sure many of you here this morning, maybe some of you watching at home, can relate to Solomon's search. You've tried all the stuff this world has to offer. You've pursued education and career and and money and growing your bank accounts and influence and and sex and the pleasures of this world, whatever it may be. You search for all these different things, and yet the reality is they don't truly fill us up. I love the way C.S. Lewis, the great scholar and author, puts this reality. C.S. Lewis says, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. What is Lewis saying there, friends? He's simply saying, look, whatever your personal pleasure is, you're never going to find enough of it in this world if that thing is not God first and foremost. If you're not putting God first and foremost, if he's not the one filling that longing, that desire that God has implanted in each of our hearts, You can have the biggest cup of tea, you can read the biggest book, you can get the biggest bass boat, you can get the coolest toy this Christmas, whatever your personal thing might be. And I will promise you, friends, if God is not first, you will never be satisfied. You will still go away hungry. See, the people of Galilee, they had sought out Jesus, looking for him to alleviate their hunger. And Jesus would. He would, but what Jesus would offer was something so much more than a full stomach. What Jesus offered was fullness of life, fullness of life. See, throughout Jesus' ministry, he regularly encountered hungry people, people looking for something to truly satisfy the needs and longings of their hearts. But, But as John has repeatedly shown us, In his gospel so far, while we humans so often pursue what we think we need, Jesus offers what he knows we need. Think about the people we've seen Jesus interact with so far in John's gospel. The the wedding guests in Cana, for example. The wedding guests in Cana, they wanted wine. Jesus showed them the word. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Nicodemus wanted instruction. Jesus gave him an invitation. The Samaritan woman at the well, she wanted water. And Jesus gave her words of life. The royal official pleaded with Jesus for his son, and Jesus revealed to him the power of the son. The invalid wanted a miracle. Jesus pointed him to the Messiah. The people of Galilee wanted loaves. Jesus offered them his life. See, Jesus knows, my friends. Jesus knows our hunger. And he knows what we truly need. He himself came to satisfy our hunger. And only Jesus can fill us. Only he can give us the desires of our heart, which are ultimately found in him. And this leads me to our second offer from Jesus in our passage this morning. Jesus offers us bread for life. 
bread for life. Let me read verse 35 for us today. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The great Bible commentator William Barclay says of Jesus' declaration here, he says, here is at the same time one of the greatest claims and one of the greatest offers of Jesus Christ. Here in verse 35, we have one of the greatest claims of Jesus and one of the greatest offers of Jesus. What what is this claim? What is this offer? Well, Jesus opens up in verse 35 and he reveals this great claim. He says, I am. I am. This is the first of seven I am statements that Jesus is going to reveal in John's gospel. Jesus, using the term I am, which was God's self-designation to Moses before Moses led the people of Israel out of the exodus in their slavery in Egypt. God had called Moses, if you remember the story, and, and Moses was unsure of himself and his abilities, and he says, well, what if the people don't believe me? Who should I tell them sent me? And, and God says to Moses, you tell them, I am has sent you. I am who I am, God says. I am was the name of God, the name God revealed to his people in the Old Testament. And here Jesus is equating himself with the great I am. He's saying, I am. I am the word. I am the sustainer of life. I am the giver of life. I am the one who has shepherded my people over all these years. And then he offers this, this, he shares this great offer with us. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In other words, friends, are you looking for fulfillment? Are you looking for satisfaction? Are you looking for sustenance? Then come to me because this is where you'll find it. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. If you remember in John's prologue in chapter 1, verse 4, John tells us that In him, in Jesus, the word was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus, the word, the creator of all life, is the source of life. And so, of course, he would be the sustainer of life. The one who fills us with his bread, the bread of life. Some people ask me, Jason, well, why why did Jesus use bread to describe himself? I mean, why, why not like sushi or hot dogs or something, you know? I mean, why bread? Well, it's interesting, my, my dad, I've shared stories about my dad over the years. He was a Christian apologist. He traveled to 80 countries around the world sharing the good news of Jesus with people. My dad, whenever he would travel to a foreign country, he would always take a jar of peanut butter with him, pack a jar of peanut butter in his luggage. I, I remember as a little kid, I asked my dad one time, Dad, why do you always take a jar of peanut butter with you? And he would say to me, he said, Jason, no matter where you go in the world, you can always find good bread. And as long as you got some good bread and some peanut butter, you'll never go hungry. It doesn't matter what they feed you, how weird the food is. If you got bread and peanut butter, you'll go, you'll go to bed with a full belly. Why did Jesus call himself the bread of life? Because bread is something that people all over the world can understand. People all over the world have been filled by bread. And Jesus says, you want to be full. You want to be nourished. You want to be sustained. I am the bread of life. And as the bread of life, Jesus promises spiritual nourishment and sustenance to all who will trust in him. 
But then, in verse 35, in a statement that reminds us of his conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus goes on to say, the second half of verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. One of my good friends, Mickey Klink, he, he's one of the world's leading experts in the Gospel of John. He's, a, he's an evangelical free church pastor in Rockford, Illinois. He wrote the Baker Exegetical Commentary on the Gospel of John. It's a, it's a huge, thick book. My wife saw it sitting on my end table last week, and from a distance she thought it said emergency commentary, and she said, man, you must be really having trouble with your sermon this week. <laughs> Some of you guys might remember Mickey, though. He spoke for our men's advance two years ago. It was a great time hearing him teach on the Gospel of John. Mickey, writing of this verse, he says this, By combining hunger and thirst in the metaphor of the bread of life, Jesus embodies in his person all promises of satisfaction and satiation. Jesus is the recipe for the soul. I love that imagery, friends. Jesus is the recipe for the soul. What are you longing for? What are you hungering for? Jesus is the recipe. If some of you are like our family, one of my favorite things this time of year is is making Christmas cookies. You guys have that tradition, making Christmas cookies? I I love when my wife makes Christmas cookies. She she pulls out her her, uh, recipe box, and, and we've got recipes going back generations. I mean, secret family recipes, right? And my favorite is grandma's sugar cookies. And I don't even know what grandma this is anymore. I mean, this is my grandma or my great-grandma or my great-great-grandma. But, but these are family recipes that have been passed down for generations. And, and you cherish those recipes. You love those recipes. And in the same way, friends, Jesus offers us the perfect recipe for our spiritual hunger. Jesus says, one part bread of life, one part living water. Mix these together and that is a recipe for spiritual satisfaction. Jesus is the bread of life. Very interesting this past week, you may have seen in the news, the the Gallup organization, the Gallup organization who does nationwide surveys. They reported this week that after research this fall, research on the mental health of Americans in this year of the pandemic, the Gallup organization reported that Across the board, demographically, the, uh, the, the degree of satisfaction with their mental health, their mental well-being, has reached the lowest point in two decades here in our nation. Across all demographics, has reached the lowest point in two decades, mental health and mental satisfaction. They, dem- they polled people across all different ages, all different races, all different economic backgrounds. Every single demographic, the lowest in 20 years, except for one. There was one demographic that actually saw a positive increase in mental health this past year. You know what that demographic was? People who attended religious services weekly. Not once a month. Not every other week, but but people who attended church weekly actually saw a positive increase this year in their mental health and well-being. Friends, there's no mistake in that. Jesus says he is the bread of life. Why, Why do we come to worship on Sunday mornings? 
Why, why do we rejoice on Sunday mornings, right? I, I, I've shared this with us before. What does that mean to rejoice? To rejoice is to return to the source of your joy. And so, of course, you would expect that those who are coming and worshiping and rejoicing weekly would be the ones who are most satisfied and most fulfilled because they're eating of the bread of life. But now we need to ask a question this morning. How? How do we come by this bread? How how do we appropriate the the joys and satisfaction and fulfillment that this bread offers us? And and here's where Jesus reveals three great spiritual truths to us. In, In verses 37 through 46, Jesus reveals these very powerful truths. They're actually all summed up in verse 37. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 37 with me. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Jesus repeats this again in verses 39 and 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus reveals three powerful truths here about our salvation. Number one, he says, God's election is what leads to salvation. It's God's choosing of us that allows us to participate and and to partake of the bread of life. Our election by God, his sovereign choice of all who will eat of the bread. Jesus is going to talk about this, this teaching, this doctrine of election more in John 10 and John 17. So we're going to, we're going to delve into this further here in, in upcoming sermons in our passage this morning. But, but the Bible teaches not only here but all over that God has chosen, he has elected some to receive salvation, to eat of the bread of life. Jesus says in our passage, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So God sovereignly chooses those who will come and partake of the bread. But then, very interestingly, in the very next verse, Jesus reveals the second truth, number two, humanity's free will. So God sovereignly elects us, but we are still free. We are not robots. We are not automatons. In other words, Jesus goes on and he says, whoever comes to me, we have a free will that responds to the election, to the call of God. Okay, we are not simply robots. God sovereignly chooses and we freely respond to his election. We've already seen Jesus reveal this truth to us. If you remember back in John chapter 3, when Jesus taught Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And remember, Jesus in John 3 verse 3 says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. In other words, you need to be born from above. We saw this in the Greek language. To be born again is to be born from above. In other words, you need to be born of the Spirit, Nicodemus. You can't give birth to new life. It's it's the Spirit working in you, Nicodemus, that will bring about new life. But then in that same teaching, a few verses later, John 3, 16, whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And so here in John 3, here in John 6, all throughout Scripture, we see these dual realities of God's sovereignty, his foreordination of all things, including our salvation, and yet our human free will. We are not simply robots. 
Now, people sometimes scratch their heads and say, that doesn't make sense. How do you explain that, Jason? How, does, how do we understand that? Well, there's a reality to this that some of it is, is just a mystery that we accept by faith and, and we receive by faith because this is what God teaches in his word. However, I think there are some images that can help us comprehend this a little bit better. For example, take, take a look at the picture on the screen here. These two doctrines, God's election, our human free will, are, are like two lanes of a road. And, and, and these two lanes run side by side all throughout the pages of the Bible. God's sovereignty, humanity's free will. From our vantage point, they look like two distinct lanes. They look like they're even contradictory, going in different directions. However, if you were to follow these lanes into the horizon, you would see that these two doctrines actually merge into one in the majesty of God's perfect nature and character and plan. There is no contradiction here, friends. We, we might not be able to understand these truths exhaustively, but God has revealed enough in his word for us to understand them sufficiently. Sufficiently so that we might trust and believe both in God's election and our human freedom. But then thirdly, Jesus teaches a third powerful truth about our salvation. He goes on to teach the eternal security of the believer. Jesus says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Friends, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are sure and secure for all of eternity in him. You will never be cast out by Jesus. This is the doctrine of eternal security. The Apostle Paul explains more about why we can be so confident in our eternal security. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul tells us that when you trust in Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, sealed for all of eternity with a label that says, you are mine. You are mine. And that label by the Lord will never change, will never be taken away. It's a guarantee, firm and secure for all of eternity. How many of you have ever heard someone described as a maverick? Oh, that guy's a real maverick. You ever heard that term before? We, we talk about somebody being a maverick when, when they're generally a person who, who tends to go their own way or do their own thing. You know, that guy's a real maverick. Have you ever wondered where that term came from? Calling somebody a maverick? It comes from a man, a 19th century Texan rancher and politician named Samuel Maverick. Samuel Maverick was instrumental in the, the Texas Revolution against Mexico, which ultimately led to Texas's independence and statehood. But Samuel Maverick was known amongst the ranchers of Texas for something pretty peculiar. Samuel Maverick was against branding his cattle. You know, the ranchers, they'll brand their cattle with a sign, a symbol that says, this is mine. And so when all the other ranches are out in the pastures rounding up their cattle, they'll come across the different brands and they'll know, well, that brand belongs to Bob and that brand belongs to Joe. And well, Samuel Maverick wouldn't brand his cattle. And so when the cowboys were out rounding up cattle, they would come across a cattle with no brand on it. And they would say, well, that belongs to Samuel Maverick. 
And, and eventually they started calling those cattle mavericks. And so if you came across a cattle without a brand, that's a maverick. Friends, let me tell you something. There are no mavericks among God's elect. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he seals us for all of eternity with his brand, with the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's a brand that lasts for all of eternity, declaring for all times, you are mine. God seals us for eternity. After revealing these three great spiritual truths of our salvation, in verses 47 to 51, Jesus once again affirms, I am the bread of life. But he then goes on to make an astounding claim. In verse 51, he declares, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, friends, up to this point, the Jews were certainly not happy with what they were hearing from Jesus. All right? I mean, calling himself the I am, declaring himself to be the son of God, announcing his arrival from heaven. I mean, all of this was blasphemy in the minds of the Jews. But here, I mean, this was just way over the top. I, I mean, eat this bread, his flesh? And this leads me to point number three this morning. Jesus offers us bread for eating. Bread for eating. One of my personal favorite snacks are these kind bars. You guys ever had a kind bar before? Uh, I love these kind bars. I mean, this, my favorite is the cranberry almond one. And uh, they're great little snacks. They're only 160 calories, and they're all natural ingredients. This one has, uh, you know, right on the label here, number one ingredient, heart-healthy almonds, real cranberries, 57% uh, nuts, 11% fruit. I mean, just packed full of good stuff, and I love it because it not only tastes good, but it, it keeps me satisfied. It fills me up. But friends, you want to know something about this kind bar? For all the nutritional benefits noted on the label, for all the good things I read here on the label about this kind bar, this kind bar will do me no good unless I eat it. I can read the label all day long. I can know all the ingredients back and forth. But unless I actually consume the bar, I don't get any of the benefits. And you know something? It's the same way, friends, with Jesus Christ. You can know all about Jesus. You can know all of his teachings. You could have sat through hundreds of sermons, but unless you consume Jesus Christ, the one who is the bread of life, unless you embrace him wholeheartedly and totally, he's not going to make any difference for you. We need to feed on Jesus, the bread of life, to be truly satisfied. Jesus goes on and he explains this idea further for us in verses 52 to 59. He says to the Jews, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. I mean, Jesus goes on and on with this description about the need to consume him, to eat his flesh, and to drink his blood. And friends, we need to understand here, Jesus Jesus is not calling the Jews to cannibalism here, all right? Jesus is speaking metaphorically here, calling them to a whole 
wholehearted trust and commitment to him. Now we know this because earlier in verse 47, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So we're saved first and foremost by our belief, our wholehearted trust and commitment to him. And then he goes on metaphorically to explain what belief looks like. It's a full consumption of everything that he is. He's not talking about literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's saying, look, you need to consume everything of me. In other words, Jesus wants us to make him Lord over our lives. He wants to be number one. He wants to sit on the throne of our hearts. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to consume him. And you see, the Jews, the mistake that they had made is they had come to Jesus looking for physical provision. It says right here in the text, they wanted manna. They they wanted more loaves and fishes like they had got the day before. But as Jesus makes clear in verse 58, physical food, friends, Even physical food that was miraculously provided, like manna or the loaves and fishes from the day before, that kind of food can't provide for our ultimate need. And what is our ultimate need? It's reconciliation with God and full and complete satisfaction in him. That's our deepest need. And so Jesus reminds the Jews here, he says, the fathers ate the manna. God gave them miraculous food, but what happened to them? They still died. They had the manna, and they still died. But he, Jesus, is the true bread from heaven, the one who could provide true satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction. Jesus says to consume him is to be truly filled because the fullness that he provides leads to eternal life. Jesus offers the bread. Let me ask you, friends, how about you? Are you filled today? Are you satisfied? Now in verses 60 to 71, we find three responses to Jesus' teaching this morning. In verses 60 to 71, the disciples say, well, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And we see the followers of Jesus respond in three ways. Some of Jesus' followers defect. They defect, they walk away from Jesus. One of the most tragic verses in the whole Bible, verse 66. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Because they couldn't accept Jesus' teaching. A second group continued to live on with Jesus in deception. We read in verses 70 and 71 of Judas. Judas, who outwardly looked like a follower of Jesus, who called himself a follower of Jesus, but everyone else would have seen him thinking he was a follower of Jesus. But Judas was a deceiver. See, Judas's heart was far from God. Judas had not put Jesus on the throne of his heart. He, he looked like a follower of Jesus, but, but Judas was truly living for his own agenda. But then we see a third group a third group led by Peter. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, what about you? Do you want to leave too? And in one of the greatest verses in the Bible, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
I've always loved this response by Peter. This verse has sustained me through countless trials, doubts, discouragements. There have been many times in my life where I've asked the Lord, what are you doing to me, God? I mean, how can this be your will and plan for my life? I mean, Lord, why are you allowing me to go through this trial? And when I start finding myself going through this discouragement and this despair and questioning God, the words of Peter have often rung in my soul and I've had to say to the Lord, Lord, where else am I going to go? Lord, who else am I going to follow? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. Friends, let me ask you, which of these labels applies to your life today? Defection? Deception? Or dedication? My prayer is that you too would respond like Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In Psalm 34, verse 8, King David, thousands of years earlier in the Old Testament, affirms everything that we've just learned from Jesus Christ this morning. King David in Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, have you eaten the bread of life? Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? Have you savored the nourishment of his peace? Have you delighted in the sweetness of his grace? Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing better in this world than Jesus. Eat of the bread, friend. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this powerful teaching this morning. We thank you especially that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be the bread of life, the one who can truly satisfy our deepest longings. You came to show us the way to life, life to the full, and life eternal. And it comes as we consume you, Lord. As we embrace you wholeheartedly, as we commit ourselves fully to you, as we trust in you by faith and we believe in you and we put you on the throne of our hearts and we declare you Lord of all. And you promise, Lord, to fill us and to satisfy us and to quench all of our longings. We just thank you, Jesus, that you have come so that we can know you. And we can get off the, the rat race of trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of this world that, that never ultimately satisfy. But in you, Jesus, we can be full. We can be nourished. We can be sustained. I pray, Lord, that all of us here would know the joy. That, that all of us here would taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray for those watching online this morning. And, and all watching later in the week, that, that they too would know the, the joy of eating of the bread of life and finding fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction in you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. And may we live to honor you and share the good news of the bread of life with others. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. And after our benediction, our ushers will dismiss you as we exit the sanctuary.
Our benediction comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you and have a great week. Amen. We want to invite you to embrace the hope, joy, peace, and love that Christmas brings, especially during these unprecedented and chaotic times. It is, after all, a spectacular reminder that into the darkness, the light of the world was born. We hope you'll join us at one of our two services, Wednesday, December 23rd at 6.30 p.m. or Thursday, December 24th at 3 p.m. There will also be a live stream option on Thursday, December 24th at 3 p.m. We look forward to celebrating the hope and joy that's found in Jesus with you. You can reserve your seats now at lakesfree.org. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.